You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Tonight, Galatians 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, and we're going to take our title from verse 5, where it says, So that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. So tonight, our, our topic would be, so the truth of the gospel remains. We want to make sure we stay with the gospel and the truth of the gospel. We want to make sure we do uh, never depart from that, but always stay firm within it. And so we read now Galatians 2, beginning in verse 1. Galatians 2, beginning verse 1. Then, after an interval of 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren, secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them, even for an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who are of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so Paul tells us about going up to Jerusalem, he says, after 14 years. And so Paul's biography continues to be used as proof of the gospel as coming from God. And Paul had said in the first chapter, he received it from God, not from man, and didn't have time to have gotten it from the apostles. Well, he says now 14 years, we think that's probably 14 years after his conversion. Uh, I don't think it's 14 years after the last incident. But anyway, he says a good while before I went up to Jerusalem, and I went up with Barnabas and with Titus. Now, in this biography, which is Paul is giving to the Galatians about the revelation of the gospel, he leaves out a good number of eventful years and eventful things in the progress of the gospel. In Acts chapter uh, 9, Paul had uh, uh, gone up to Tarsus, and he had preached there. And then in chapter 11, he went to Antioch, and then 
Uh, he made the, uh, the Jerusalem trip in Acts 11, a uh, very brief trip to bring some relief to the poor, which was, that's mentioned down in verse 10. Uh, and then he went on the first missionary journey, which is when he went and he had spoken to uh, those of Galatia. And so there's a lot going on that Paul doesn't bring up, but he mentions that uh, he went to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. And he says when he was there in verse 9, he met James and Cephas, or Peter, and John. And now we know from those involved, and we know from the circumstances of which he describes, uh, this is the trip that is in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, uh, various brethren uh, came to Antioch, and they had been preaching that unless you're circumcised, this is Acts 15.1, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so there was that teaching, and that's the same teaching that Paul's been dealing with here in the book of Galatians, saying you've been quickly removed from the truth of the gospel. And so Paul is going to talk about uh, the true teaching, uh, what we often call orthodoxy, the true teaching, which is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not salvation by keeping the works of the law and intermixing the gospel with the law of Moses. And so just as here it says in verse 1, uh, Paul said he went up with Barnabas. Uh, so it says in Acts chapter 15, verse 2, Paul went up with Barnabas and certain others. Well, among the certain others uh, was mentioned here in the book of Galatians, the man named Titus. And Titus is important because Titus was a man not circumcised. And so Paul takes with him an uncircumcised brother. Now, we know Titus from his faithfulness. We know Titus from a, uh, a book that Paul would write to him 20 years after this fact. And so he was with Paul and faithful with Paul and active in the gospel for at least two, day, two decades after this fact. And so here he was as a much younger man going back to Jerusalem, going back, as it were, to the mother church, going back to where it had all begun and going to meet with James and Cephas uh, or Peter and John. Uh, as someone pointed out, when you get uh, uh, Peter and James and John and Paul in the same room, you have 22 of the 27 books of the New Testament represented. And so these are the fellas who uh, are going to, uh, over uh, the next couple of decades, write the things that we now hold so dear as the New Testament. And so 22, and if one of these guys, either Barnabas or Paul, I think Paul, but many think Barnabas, if one of those guys in that, in that meeting also wrote the book of Hebrews, which is likely 23 of 27 books of the New Testament, their authors are represented in the room. And here is young uh, but faithful uh, convert Titus, and he's sort of going to be the test case. Do we circumcise this fella or not? Do we have to keep these things of the law or not? And so Paul takes Titus and Barnabas, and they go. And he says, by revelation, I went up. Uh, the way that Paul opposed those false teachers in Acts 15 at the beginning, having a great debate and dissension with them, Acts 15, 2, it seems like Paul didn't think it would have been necessary to go up. But the Holy Spirit told him, you should go to Jerusalem. And he's going to tell us he didn't go there to see if he had got the gospel right. 
He didn't go there to have the others check on him. As it appears, uh, he went uh, by the direction of God uh, with a bit of a fear, since he has to go, that maybe there's going to be some problem when he gets there. But he doesn't think and doesn't have any fear of his own teaching of the gospel by salvation in Christ by grace through faith, not through the law. And so he said, I went up because of a revelation. So I was told to go and he said, I submitted to them. So I I presented to them and I told them uh, the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Acts 15, 12, it says Barnabas and Paul were relating the signs and wonders that God had done uh, through them among the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas told all the works of God that God so marvelously and graciously had done as they preach. And he did it first, he says, in private. I did so in private to those who were of reputation. And so again, he'll mention later James and Peter and John. I presented that privately to them. Then it's also presented to the church. He says, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Now, it's from this verse that some people explain that the Apostle Paul feared possibly he'd gotten it wrong. I don't think that's what it means that he'd run in vain. I think he, because he, he certainly has uh, no lack of confidence in the gospel revealed to him and the gospel that he preached. I, I think the uh, fear that he'd been running in vain uh, was that if this heresy had started working among the leadership of the Jerusalem church, and that's where these fellows who taught circumcision, that's where they said they got it. That's where they uh, would claim their authority. Oh, we claim to preach circumcision as part of the gospel by the authority of the Jerusalem church. Uh, and if, if it came true that the Jerusalem church was actually sending out people with that, it would have undone so much of what Paul had done. It would have made so much of his work in vain. I think that is what he's truly referring to because, again, he seems to suffer no lack of confidence that his gospel was right, only that there might be others who do in their work things that hinder it. Uh, and these, it turns out there was no need to fear of that. And the Jerusalem letter uh, signed by these apostles uh, in Acts fifteen twenty four specifically disavows these fellows. And it says, men who came out from among us to whom we gave no instruction have said things and unsettled your souls. So this was a soul unsettling doctrine. And uh, the apostle Paul was afraid that if, if uh, it had been uh, given a wrong imprimatur, if it had been given uh, the, the uh, veneer of authority, the, if it had been given uh, a, a stamp of approval by uh, reputable men, he feared that it might do great, great damage. But he said, nope, it wasn't, didn't turn out that way at all. It wasn't anything contrary to what we had taught and what we had said then and what we're saying now, that you don't have to mix the law and all these requirements and all these things with the faith. You only need grace through faith in Jesus. So verse 3, not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So we didn't tell him he needed to do anything else. We didn't, and they didn't tell him, Peter and James and John, the whole church in Jerusalem, they didn't tell Titus that he should be circumcised. False teachers told him that a lot, but not those of the truth. And so Acts 15, 22, 
it seemed good to the elders and apostles and the whole church to take men, send men up to Antioch. And they sent with them uh, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas and other leading men. And they, they took them the letter that said, Greetings to you all, and some who, to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you. It seemed good to us being of one mind to send a letter to you uh, and uh, with our good friends, our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who risked their life for the gospel. And we are going to lay on you, verse 28, no burdens other than keep from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, things strangled, and from fornication, and nothing about the law. And so this was the great reception that the whole church, with the leading men there and its leadership and its elders, this is the, uh, the reception that they all gave uh, to Paul and his work and to Titus, the Gentile Christian. And so that was a lovely mark of unity, and that was uh, exactly what Paul could, would have hoped for. Uh, they, no one disappointed in this in, in regard. Nobody added to the gospel uh, who had any authority or any real, uh, any real place. And so uh, Titus did not need to be circumcised. I think about the difference then uh, here uh, among the brethren. They welcome in the Gentile believer. They welcomed in the Greek convert, and they said to him, Welcome, brother, and they received him, and they received him fully. And I think about the difference between that and the rebellious Jews who just heard the rumor that Paul had brought into the temple a uh, Gentile, a man named Trophimus, and they caused a riot, and they tried to do physical harm to Paul. And so uh, this is the difference between the unbeliever and the believer. The, the unbelievers... Uh, on rumor alone, uh, they physically attacked a man saying, you brought Gentiles here. But among the believers and in the church, uh, there's no rule that the uh, Gentiles can't come. And if the Gentiles have faith, <coughs> if the Gentiles have faith like Titus, the Gentiles was made most welcome. And so the brethren received Titus and they received Paul. And they received Timothy. And we think, well, if there's so much good love and reception, why is it that there was ever a problem? Verse 4. But it was because of the false brethren. Not the true believers, but the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. So these men are false brethren. These men are teaching false doctrine. These men are here knowing what they're doing, trying to bring people back to the law. It appears that they're not really even fully Christian, but they're just Jews trying to corrupt Christianity. I don't know if that, that might be. That seems uh, awful, awful terrible, but today I think there are people who claim to be Christians, not true Christians, but they've snuck in uh, to gain influence or to gain wealth or uh, you look at uh, what goes on in the name of Christianity around the world, and so much of it is so contrary to the spirit of the New Testament that just adding the law would seem to be a small thing in comparison to what some have done. And so I think maybe these are false brethren too sometimes. But they snuck in. They, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They don't come announcing they're spies, but they snuck in. As spies, because that's how spies do, right? Spies, spies don't announce it. 
they don't they don't have uh, labels on their shirts. Uh, they don't have uh, words on their hats that we can see. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to read Mad Magazine, and there was always the comic section in there, Spy versus Spy. And you could always tell who the spies was because they were dressed like a spy, and they were labeled as spies. And aside from the fact that one was in white clothes and and white uh, shoes and white everything. The other was in, in black uh, corresponding. Uh, but it was easy to tell. These guys are both spies. Well, it's not so easy in the real life to tell the spies uh, from the others. Uh, but uh, these had snuck in, Paul said, to bring us to bondage. So this is heterodox. This is contrary to the teaching. This is something terrible. So we have first orthodoxy. And Paul said, Peter and James and John, and, and I, and, and all those with faith, and, and all those by inspiration, taught the same truth. So hold to it now, brethren of Galatia. And he also said, when this controversy came up, it became a matter of urgency. It became something that we needed to deal with and not let go at all. Uh, first off, we can tell it was a matter of some urgency, because after such a long time of doing his work, after 14 years, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, decided, well, maybe we should go to Jerusalem. And he got a, a message of inspiration to go to Jerusalem. And so after such a long time that now we need to deal with this, this is getting out of hand. That made it urgent. But also note the urgency in the language of verse 5. But we did not yield in subjection to them even for an hour. So the truth of the gospel might remain with you. This is why it was urgent, that the truth of the gospel was at stake. There are no higher stakes than the truth of the gospel. We didn't give them a minute's time, Paul said. We didn't let them get by with it for an hour. Uh, today, our common figure of speech was, we didn't let them get a foot in the door. We didn't let them get the, you know, the camel didn't get the nose in the tent. Uh, we didn't give them uh, any place. Uh, we oppose them regularly and we oppose them consistently. We oppose them all of the time. And so there's no subjection. There was no yielding to them at all. Th this was something that we always were forthright and timely about. So the truth of the gospel might remain. So yielding to this teaching, Submitting to this teaching, this error, this false teaching, this was that perversion of the gospel, which back up in chapter 1, uh, this was a, a thing that was a different gospel, verse uh, 6. It was a distortion of the gospel, verse 7. It was not really another gospel. It was that which would cause you to be accursed. So we needed the true gospel. We needed the unadulterated gospel. We needed the full gospel. It's not true unless it's the true and right gospel. So we did not let them trample on people. Uh, we did not let them uh, subject people. We did not let them enslave people. It was a matter of great urgency that we refute this. Now, they did. They did refute that. The whole church, as we saw in Acts 15, the whole church rejoiced and sent a letter. And all the leadership, Peter and James, and John, they all were together. And so we have the true gospel uh, held urgently and in great unity. So brethren in Galatia, what are you doing going to this? 
If you go to this, Paul's telling them, it's against the teaching, and it's against what the apostles uh, have said. It's against that which uh, everybody you uh, have of good reputation, hold in high esteem. It's against what all of them teach. So verse 6, as Paul was in the midst of it, he says, but from those who are of high reputation. Now to the brethren, it matters that they're of reputation. And, and today, we, you know, we, we do hold Peter and James and John. We hold them in great reputation, even as we also do Paul. But Paul's speaking of what if I had to have had opposed them? What if I had needed to go up against them? I think Paul's saying he would have done it. But for those who are of high reputation, now, that makes no difference to me, Paul says, because he's of high reputation and chosen of God himself. He said God no, shows no partiality. So God had chosen him to be an apostle, just as God chose those other people to be an apostle, just as God did not choose me to be an apostle. God made these choosings, and each has their role. But Paul says, yeah, these men are of high reputation. But that wasn't what I was concerned about. He said, well, those who are of high reputation contributed nothing to me. Well, that's all of chapter 1. Paul has been preaching for 14 years. He doesn't need them to correct him or improve him or or, uh, give their stamp to him now. He's got 14 years. Uh, He's got a missionary journey. Uh, He's got uh, all the great work of Acts 11, 12, 13, and 14 behind him. By the time this is done, he's got many more years of fruitful labor ahead. And so, no, the, the fact that they were reputation, I, well, I, I got a reputation too, Paul says. I've got what God gave me. Just look at they got to what God gave me. But he says in verse 7, we came to agreement. On the contrary, seeing I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. And so I had been given the gospel, and I went and preached the gospel. Peter had been given the gospel, and Peter went and preached the gospel. We preached largely to different audiences. It's not that Paul never preached to Jews, but he primarily went to Gentiles. It's not that Peter never talked to Gentiles, but uh, he preached uh, mostly to Jews. Each man had their primary area of work, and each man taught whatever man would come. But Paul says in verse 8, For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship, and for the circumcised, effectively uh, worked for me also to the Gentiles. So God was behind, and God was blessing both works. As uh, Isaiah the prophet would say, my word does not return to me void. And so God's word did as God's word does. And it converted uh, those who uh, had good and honest hearts. It went and told people the gospel, and uh, those who uh, were uh, of, uh, uh, of the good mind and conscience and a heart to receive it, they did. And so uh, they got the gospel. And so God did his work with them, and God did his work with me. And we're all happy that all that happened. And Paul said they were happy, and I was happy. And they recognized, verse 9, and recognizing the grace had been given me. James and Cephas, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. And so there was an exchange of fellowship. There was an exchange, as it were, of handshakes. Uh, He talks about the right hand of fellowship. So just as today, uh, we talk about people joining hands. Uh, Sometimes we shake hands to, to make an agreement. Uh, sometimes in a wedding 
uh, ceremony. Uh, the preacher will ask the couple uh, to join hands. And if they only join one hand, it's, it's the right hand, just like this. Sometimes they'll ask the preacher at the wedding, they'll, 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 they'll join both hands. But uh, we make agreements uh, by joining hands. And uh, if, if you make an agreement with a fella and he shakes your hand, uh, that should mean something. Or even in the temporary joys of, of uh, sports and, and celebrating uh, the, the accomplishments of your team, the guys in the right color did the right thing. Uh, we'll join hands. We'll, we'll give each other the high five. Uh, we'll join hands temporarily. We'll, we'll hug and clasp shoulders and, and we'll, we'll show our agreement and we'll show our appreciation. So in, in all ways, kind of large and small, uh, a joining together is a highly symbolic and, and highly meaningful gesture. Um, that's one of the things that makes COVID so terrible. We're told not to touch each other. We're told not to come in contact with each other. Uh, we're told to stay the six feet apart. And it just seems so unnatural. And it seems so inhumane. Well, uh, luckily, they didn't have a COVID outbreak when this was going on. So they could shake hands. But they gave that right hand of fellowship. They joined with each other in agreement and in the symbols and the meaningful tokens which uh, symbolize those agreements, they joined in fully together. Paul and Barnabas, Peter and James, and John. And you think, man, wouldn't you have liked to have seen that? What a time to be in the room. And, uh, of course, we'll never see something like that. And we think about all those that we would, would like to join hands with, and uh, we just can't do it. Uh, but one day we'll be able to do it again. Uh, in, in, uh, that great fellowship and conclave of heaven, uh, all these fellows will be in the same room again. And if we're faithful, uh, we can be in the sh same room with them. And just as then, uh, they didn't shun or rebuke each other, uh, because they taught the same gospel and they believed in the same savior. And so we'll be able to, uh, grasp hands together and we'll be able, uh, to have that true and honest fellowship. And in this case, it was the agreement that, uh, we'd go to the Gentiles and they'd go to the circumcised. It's, it's not that they're carving up territory on a map, like a salesman, this is your territory and this is mine, but they each had works that they primarily did. Although we know they, they, they talked to those on the other side, just anyone who had come to Christ, but they had their primary areas where they worked and where God had sent them and they worked together and they did what God asked them all to do. So they did ask this, and this is an important thing. Uh, to ask of the apostle, the one who does this great spiritual work. Uh, he's asked to remember the poor. The gospel is about men's souls. But we're also uh, to help in this life, uh, those to whom God has given life. And so uh, there's a, a, a concern that Christians have continually and should have continually for the poor. And in many ways, it's Christianity who taught the world uh, the philanthropic uh, impulse that people now have for the poor. But we should have this, and it should always be uh, alive and, and in us, no matter how important our work. And we think, well, we're doing spiritual things. Well, you're not doing more spiritual things than Paul. And Paul could remember the poor, and the other apostles asked him to do that. He'd already done that once uh, and helped them out so greatly uh, read uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Paul and Barnabas taking the contribution of one church, a large church in Antioch, to the brethren at Jerusalem. And Paul will remember this in the future. And we have what we call the great collection. All those passages we have about giving 
the cheerful giving, the collection on the first day of the week, and let each one lay by in store, uh, uh, <clears throat> and the taking a contribution of the poor saints in Jerusalem, uh, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 16, um, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. All the giving passages, basically, that you can think of in the New Testament by the hand of Paul doing this very thing they ask him to do here, remember the poor. So he had taken them a contribution in Acts 11. He will take them a great contribution again in Acts chapter 21. And we notice that since he had already helped once, they ask him to help again. And that might be a test, uh, something I think we probably do ourselves naturally. When we have uh, need of raising money, when we have need of asking for help, who do we normally ask? We normally ask those who helped us before. The Apostle Paul has helped the poor before. Who do they ask again? The Apostle Paul. And he brings something that's so large, it's called the Great Collection. And he'd already brought the small collection. Now he's going to bring the great one. But if nobody ever asks us to help, if nobody ever asks us to give, we might wonder, what is it they think about us? Why wouldn't they ask us to help and to give? And if we are constantly asked to help and to give, well, why are they asking us? Well, they kind of think maybe we will. And that's a compliment. So it's a compliment to be asked. And it's a responsibility to help. So let's live our, self, our lives in such a way that people would ask us. But then let's also have the response that Paul has in verse 10 of, oh, not again. No, no, no. It's nothing like that. It, Paul doesn't say, oh, not again. I done brought to you before. No. It, Paul says, the very thing I was eager to do. So that's why you ask a fellow like Paul. He's eager to do it. Uh, let us be in all areas of Christian service. Let's be, let's be eager to do. Let's be eager to help. And people will ask us, and we'll have more opportunities to do it because we want to. And God will open doors of service like that if we have a heart for it, which the Apostle Paul obviously has. So what do we find? We find there was a controversy. It was up in Antioch, brethren causing problems. Brethren got together, and they looked at the truth of the gospel, and they came to the conclusion of the truth of the gospel. And Paul says, then we urgently held to it. And we stood with the other brethren who likewise did so. And it opened an opportunity, which ends up being a great help to many in the realm of charity. So for the truth of the gospel, so that that might remain, we say we need to be orthodox, we need to be urgent, and we need to have unity. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.